Now I'm really thrilled uh, to share with you some fam a family movie that I love, a few of them that I love. Um, actually, really, none of these. This is just a picture I found. Uh, I, uh, it reminds me, though, of a moment uh, in life when I've asked this question before, uh, and people were sharing, and I was with some kids, um, some, some, some younger kids, and people were talking about their favorite movies, and they were listing all the different ones, and someone said, The Little Mermaid. And I thought, oh, I'll be like a funny dad, and I'll say, oh, what's that movie about? As if I had never seen it. And uh, a young girl that was there said, oh, The Little Mermaid is this great story about how a girl changes who she is so that a boy will love her. <laughs> I went like, oh. Yeah, I guess that is kind of the story of The Little Mermaid. And actually, a lot of different movies. Um, I asked this today because we're starting a series uh, we're, for the summer, we're going through parables. And, and when I think of what I'm thinking, what does a parable mean? Why do we have parables? I, oftentimes, I think a parable to me just gets connected to uh, like a favorite Disney movie, a great story that has some kind of great moral that in the end you go like, okay, that was helpful. I leave the Little Mermaid and I think I should change who I am so people will love me, <laughs> right? Or there's lots of other like, right, things to learn from that or other movies. But I want us to kind of expand uh, or maybe even switch what we're thinking. As we move into the parables, we are hoping this summer, as we just look at these incredible, some very short, but these pictures that Jesus paints and these little narratives, these stories and these lessons, he's painting pictures, not of just helpful things for us to do or, or just maybe a new set of rules for us to follow. He's ultimately unpacking what the kingdom of God looks like. He's sharing a story because story connects to us in such a profound way that, that is going to hit us and go, wow, I want to be in that place. Or I want to be with a father that's like that or with people who are like that. He's painting a picture of, of the reality of a real place that really often looks kind of upside down to the world that the people he's talking to and really our world looks like. And so we get the opportunity now to look at some parables for the next uh, uh, couple months as we meet in the summer. I had the opportunity uh, a couple years ago in the summer, we met with high schoolers at the park and we would sit under trees and read parables and, and just together like talk through what do you think God's, Jesus is telling us about the kingdom of God. It was kind of a, a sweet, it felt like the, the right way to study a parable. Um, today would be a little warm to sit in our tree, so we're going to sit in the air conditioning, and we're going to start uh, looking at our parables. A couple quick things that are helpful if you are passionate about this and think, I want to start reading some parables this summer as well. A couple of things I'm finding are very helpful in all the scripture, but as parables, some groundwork we want to lay out. Um, as we dive into our parables, we want to do a couple of things. First, we want to understand the context of where the parable is coming from. And so we want to think, what actually was, what was it like? Can I kind of go back in time and imagine what it felt like to sit there with Jesus as he explained this, what the culture would have been like around him, the people around him. The words he's using in it aren't just random words. There's a reason he's using it. What would people have felt like? So that we don't just read in the, the, the passages and go like, oh, he's telling me this today. As always in scripture, when I look at that, at the parables, that's going to be really helpful. We want to see what does Jesus want us to know about the parable? Is this, am I just looking at this parable so I get like a, a nice tip on a, a way to live my life or or what does Jesus really want us to, to hear? Often Jesus actually tells a parable and then uh, right after it, or maybe a little later, he tells, okay, this is what the parable means because clearly everyone probably looked like they didn't understand around him. And then lastly, we do want to have parables speak to us. We want them to say, if that's true, 
How does this affect my life and my view of the kingdom? And so we have our first parable today. I'm very excited. I, this is a parable I love because it's short and it paints this really uh, vivid picture of the kingdom of God, which is, uh, it is very uh, different than what I often uh, feel and often am even told around me. And so our first parable is the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. So if you're someone who likes to open your Bible, crack open your actual, you know, um, paper Bible, love for you to crack it open to Matthew 13. This is the chapter of parables. There's so many parables in this. And uh, we're going to look uh, at, at this short one today. Otherwise, you can follow along. All the scripture today, uh, most of it will be on the screen. Right, let's, let's read this together. The kingdom of heaven, there's a lot of parables start this way. Jesus is going to say, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. I Googled some images for those who are more visual. These are the worst images I could find. Are you ready? Here's the, my favorite one. Ah! Is this wild? Look at this face. I mean, I'm the only one, but I laughed so hard finding this image. We have this image of these two people. One is in a uh, field, and we can probably uh, assume from the context that it isn't his field. We actually know that because he has to buy it later. So he's in someone else's field on someone else's property, and he finds a treasure, which means he also... I'm not sure if you if he kicked, uh, kicked it or how do you stumble upon treasure when it's buried, but he finds treasure, then he buries it because he sees how valuable it is. And if you remember in the passage, he says, because of the joy that he has, he sells all that he has. This thing is so valuable that he sells everything he has so that he will own the piece of land and therefore own the treasure in the land. And then he goes back, it looks like, and he digs it back up. Look how it glows. This treasure is wonderful. Coins, lots of coins, it looks like. The other person, though, doesn't stumble upon treasure. This is a merchant. In the, in the text, it actually says, uh, in the original language, it actually says, a man, a merchant. So it's, again, like a, just a person who happens to be someone who does buy and sell things, who, who is kind of in this business, and he's looking for pearls that are of really great value. And he finds one, like just an glorious, incredible pearl. I don't know what makes a pearl really valuable. They all look like, like little white circles to me. Um, I've bought my wife fake pearls that did not cost very much, and they look kind of the same. I don't know if you know that. They're not real. <laughs> my love is real. The pearls are not. <laughs> this, this guy, though, finds a pearl. In fact, maybe to understand context a little bit, pearls, when Jesus would have stole, told the story, a few words would have um, clicked for people or maybe triggered people a little bit. The word merchant isn't necessarily always a word that is uh, looked upon positively. In fact, if Jesus, a religious leader, a rabbi, a man they're looking to for guidance and spiritual guidance, were to say, I'm going to tell you a story about the kingdom of God. It's about a merchant. They might go, oh, why would you pick merchant? Those people are all about making money. They're all about themselves. Uh, other places, merchant is used in scripture, not always a positive thing which is interesting, he uses that word. And then he says this pearl, which would have made a lot of sense because a pearl was an incredibly valuable thing. 
To us, maybe today, not seen as the most valuable. We would have maybe said like Bitcoin. He found, found the most valuable Bitcoin. But he says Pearl. There's actually a story of Cleopatra. I don't know if it's true, but there's a legend that she tells this riddle to friends. She's hanging out with friends at a party. And she says, I bet you that I could drink uh, what's equivalent to like a million dollars, right? It's like, a, it's like a, a bet that she does with her friends. And they go, oh, okay. And she has a servant bring her a bowl of vinegar and she dissolves a pearl from her necklace in the vinegar and then she drinks it, which sounds terrible. Uh, but then proves to them she could drink a million dollars because she drank this pearl that was worth it much. This pearl is like this incredibly valuable thing, which we know, we don't need to know any of those things. We know just from the context of the story, because he sold everything he had. This is a person who buys and sells things and he took everything he had and he uh, sold it so he could have this one thing. So also consider both these people are ones who now have nothing but those things. So, So this one man has a field with a treasure in it. We don't really know what that treasure is or what it looks like. Uh, I don't know if it's actually in a pirate chest or it's gold. Another one has a pearl that's very valuable. One wasn't looking for it, but found great treasure and it was so good that he's willing to give everything for it. And the other one was looking for something incredible, valuable and did find it and also had the same response. Now this parable reminds me of a moment a story that we see in scripture uh, that we often call the story of the rich young ruler, where this kind of plays out, uh, this idea of what does it look like to find a treasure and give everything. So here's a story of the rich young ruler. As Jesus started on his way, this is from Mark 10, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Picture this, so Jesus is on his way walking and a man runs up to him, falls to his knees. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to enter into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, then why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So are you calling me God? Do you think I'm God? And then Jesus, he says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he says, all of these I've kept since I was a boy. So this, he says, I want to be in the kingdom of God. I want to be in the kingdom of heaven. I want to be eternally with God. What do I have to do? And, and Jesus says, well, you know all the things you have to obey. And he says, I've done those since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love this. This is how Jesus is loving him. He's saying, actually, there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. He's, he's telling the man, there actually is something else that you're still holding on to. There's still something that is more valuable to you than the kingdom of heaven. And for you, it sounds like for him, that is his treasure, his stuff. Go sell all that stuff, and then you'll find real true treasure in heaven and come to me. And at this, you, you think this is an opportunity, the guy would go, Oh, yes, with great joy, I'll sell everything because I found the greatest of treasures. It says the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. He said, oh, not that. 
like that's the one thing I, I really like that I have. That's, that's kind of who I am. Did you not read the title of the story, Jesus? I'm the rich young ruler. That's like my thing. He went away sad. It, he, he didn't come to Jesus joyfully. Instead, he said, this is a thing I can't get rid of. And he walked away. He had this moment where he found he was with the greatest of treasures, far greater than anything he possessed or could ever possess, and he walked away. And so Jesus' disciples had a moment. They were there. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who can be saved? So we got to be careful here. Jesus isn't saying people who are rich can't get into heaven. Uh, that's actually heresy. Uh, that, that's not true, right? The amount of money you have, the amount of wealth you have doesn't determine. What determines, it seems like, is are you willing to uh, let go of all those things? Maybe not even literally, but are those things the center of your universe? Are those where you put in your hope? Are those ultimately your gods? And, and do you find joy and do you find a treasure named Jesus that's so good you're willing to walk away from everything? And, and turn away from everything as a God and turn to Jesus as the one and only God. Is Jesus good? Is he God? And so Jesus says, it's really hard. Do you see how hard it is for people who have all this, this, these riches, which also we know comes with it, power and comfort and security, all comes from having this wealth. And his disciples say something that makes a lot of sense. They say, then who, then who could ever get in? Who could ever be saved? If that's the criteria that I need to worship Christ alone, who could, because there's a lot of great stuff that I really like. And, and I don't know if I can turn to Jesus and turn away from all those things. I think that's a really honest and helpful question these disciples have in this moment. This week, I actually asked our church this. Um, I, I sent out a message on our, on our uh, Hope app. We can message, we have a Columbia Heights group that usually is filled with like funny gifts and, uh, <laughs> and invitations to go swimming with people or hang out, which is awesome. But this week, I, I sent out a little message uh, to a lot of you who are even in the room. I said, what is something you leave or let go of to follow Jesus? I just thought, I'd love to hear, uh, what are those things for us that we've had to leave or let go of? Um, I got great, great answers. Money was a quick one. A lot of people's answer. Money, riches, right? It's really hard to not see money, riches, Bitcoin, as like a, an, a thing that will bring me everything that I want. The definition of success. Jesus, by leaving that as my God, is success not being my hope, and everything for me and turning to Jesus, I had to decide there's a different version of success. Stability. FOMO. This might be my favorite one. I wasn't expecting. Someone said, I had to leave and just be okay with missing out on stuff. And, and that might not be 
Like just my friends are having a party and I can't go. This is like, there's things in our culture that I don't get to participate in because I'm gonna decide to turn to Jesus instead. My family, someone just shared even an idolatry of family. My, my family is my everything. My, how easy is it to hold our kids up and worship those kids? To say, I, I had to turn and say, Jesus says, yeah, you're, you're obeying me, but there's this one thing that you actually is really your God. This is my favorite one. Just a list of things. This, uh, this person just said, pride, idolatry of money, success, security. And I was like, yes, all those. I feel all those, all those, all those. And so we, we come to a place where uh, the parable of the treasure and the pearl encourage us to see Jesus as a treasure. And this is where we could end our time. I could say, now go today and stop being silly. Don't be rich, young rulers. Let's go, friends, and stop worshiping other stuff. I, I don't think that's the hope with the parable, though. Our hope is that we leave reading that saying, the kingdom of God is like this, and we want to love Jesus more. And we've learned through a study of Hebrews for the last 20 weeks that making new rules and creating a new system to follow isn't what brings us joy and isn't what brings us to the kingdom of God. And so let's consider this. Jesus says to their, their question, who then can be saved? He gives us a great answer uh, that we might miss if we don't read this whole story. He looks at them and he says, with man, this is impossible. You can't. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> You're asking us to do something and then you're telling us we can't do it? He says, but not with God. All things are possible with God. You, we can't leave everything behind to run after the treasure that is Jesus without Jesus. We have to set our, our vision on him, hold to him, cling to him. And from that, he, he gives us this supernatural ability to actually say, you know what? I, I do love my family, but they aren't my hope. I do love money. It's not my hope. There's actually a greater treasure. And where do we see this? We actually see Jesus do this through the parable. In Philippians 2, we hear what, what Jesus does. It says, in your relationships with each other, have the same mindset as Christ. That's going to tell us what Christ did. See if this rings a bell about a parable we just read who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Jesus gives up everything, makes himself nothing. And he didn't just give up like his money, his stuff. He gave up his seat as God on the throne to become nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeliness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Our God somehow sees us as a treasure. We're very untreasure-like, but he sees us and the value in us and wants to be in relationship with us. And he says, I'm willing to give everything so that I can buy that field and I can dig those people up and I can be with them. 
he comes and gives everything, even death on a cross, so that we get to be with him. This is incredible. This parable reminds us that Christ somehow sees us as sinners and still comes to us. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under earth and every tongue that knowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And now we have a king who sits on his throne and we can look to that king and know that he is our treasure. Right, this, this passage we hear all over the place, the passage you see painted on people's chests at football games. I don't know if that's actually that common anymore, but at least was. <laughs> I remember many times, right? For God so loved the world in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave him up so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The son came to save us. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So we have a parable today, a story that says the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a place, it's a kingdom where there's a treasure that is so precious, you would joyfully give anything to have it. There is a place that has something so valuable that you'd give everything to have it. We don't experience anything close to that. Now, I've been places where I say, I would give a lot to have another slice of that Rocky Rococo's pizza. Like, that is tasty pizza. But nothing compared. There's a place, there's a kingdom, a family where there's something so good, you would not just say, oh, I gotta get rid of, I shouldn't worship this. But you say, yeah, this is so good. You can have whatever you want. This is far far greater. And it only exists because we have a king who joyfully gave of himself to purchase his treasured people. We have a groom who gave of himself so that his unfaithful bride could be back in relationship with him. We have a king who has bought us and dug us up out of the grave and treasured us. And that is why I can, and it's made possible to turn from these things and to say, you know what, this, there's lots of good stuff, but those aren't my God. Jesus is my God. So I'm, I'm gonna welcome the team back up here, the worship team, so we can worship this Jesus together. We can sing out words today that remind us uh, of how good he is, but I have a few things I want us to consider as we move to this time, ways to reflect on this together. Do you know that Jesus left heaven to bring you back, to purchase you? If you're unaware of it, today is a great day to, to bend your knee and say, Jesus, I believe, and come to know him. Maybe consider what temporary treasure you hold on to instead of this great eternal treasure that we have. It's a question that often helps me. What does my stuff bring me that Jesus would actually bring me a, a fuller way of life in? But it's stuff I say, this is good, but Jesus, you bring a much fuller, greater way. And friends, who do you know that needs to know that there's an, a kingdom of eternally priceless treasure? That there's a cycle in someone's life of pursuing new treasure after new treasure, knowing there's one that you never have to turn from that forever will be.
we get the chance this week to be people who believe this and also get to tell that great news to the people we meet. We pray for us as we enter into time just to sing and worship our God together. Lord, you are really, really good to us. You are good. You are God. Thank you. You have come to buy us back. Let that reality of that kingdom sink into us and fill us so that it would overflow out of us into acts of obedience and love to those around us. You are good. I pray as we sing these words now, we would believe them and they would speak of your great kingdom. I pray this in your good, good name. Amen.